All right, would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Kings 14? Also, we'll be in 2 Chronicles 12 as well. Jeroboam is the king. He was the first king of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, having led the 10 northern tribes in a rebellion against Rehoboam, according to the judgment of Yahweh against Rehoboam's father, Solomon, because of Solomon's sin. So now Ahijah is a prophet. And he, he, we have this in this portion. You don't have some of this in Second Chronicles like, like this. So we happen to be just in First Kings to begin with in chapter 14. At this time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, don't get him confused with the prophet Ahijah. The son of Jeroboam fell sick. Now this would be the oldest son and he would be the heir to the throne, it would seem, of the northern kingdom. Of course, I've told you earlier that uh, <clears throat> the kings of the northern kingdom did not necessarily follow a lineage, a family. There was always conspiracy and fighting about who would come to the throne after the death of a king. But Jeroboam, idolater and sinful man that he is, wants to hear from the Lord. He wants help from the Lord about his sick son, but he doesn't want to go himself and uh, ask the prophet. So he does what all of us manly men do when we don't want to do something, we send our wives, right? <laughs> so he sent his wife, arise now and dis- disguise yourself so that people should not know that you're the wife of Jeroboam. You'll go to Shiloh and there is Ahijah the prophet. He spoke about me that I would be king over this people. Now, poor old Jeroboam, he thought that was a good thing. The, the prophet said I was going to be the king. He doesn't realize that it was part of a judgment against the house of David. And you shall take in your hand 10 loaves of bread. Now it was, it was common thing to carry a, an appropriate gift to the, uh, to the prophet when uh, he was inquired of the Lord. Take in your hand 10 loaves of bread and biscuits and a flask of honey Come to him and he will tell you what will be of the child. Jeroboam's wife did so and she arose and went to Shiloh Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. Ahijah could not see for his eyes were still because of his advanced age. Now Yahweh said to, uh, had said to Ahijah, so Yahweh had already uh, given a, a vision, had informed Ahijah the prophet, behold the wife of Jeroboam is coming to ask of you concerning her son as he is sick. And you shall say to her thus and thus. And it was when she arrived, she was disguised. And it was as Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps in the doorway that he said, come in Jeroboam's wife. Why are you disguised? I'm sent to tell you harsh things, harsh tidings. Go say, to Jeroboam, so has uh, the Lord God of Israel said, 
Since I raised you from amidst the people and I made you the ruler over my people Israel and I tore the kingdom from the house of David and I gave it to you, he brings six charges here against uh, Jeroboam, the house of Jeroboam. I tore the kingdom of the house of David and I gave you the northern kingdom, number one, but you have not been like my servant David, David, who heeded my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to do only what was proper in my eyes, number two. And you have done worse than all that were before you. And you have gone, number three, and made yourself foreign gods. So he worshiped other gods. And then number four, he became an idolater in that he made molten images. Number five, thus he angered God. And then finally, number six, cast God behind his back. God became unimportant to him. Uh, God was not the one he really was serving. He was serving himself. He was serving the God of this world in the northern kingdom. Of course, the northern kingdom follows a, a rather rapid path to destruction through the sinfulness of leaders, as we'll see throughout their history until they're no longer a nation. So, so through the prophet Yahweh gives these six charges against Jeroboam. Therefore, I shall bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. And I will cut off from Jeroboam every male child and those who are restrained and those who are free in Israel. I will expunge after the house of Jeroboam as one expunges dung until it is completed. I'm going to throw you out like, like nasty garbage. The dead of Jeroboam in the city, the dogs shall eat and the dead in the field, the birds of heaven shall eat because Yahweh has spoken. So this is, this is not a good end to the story and family of uh, Jeroboam. And you arise, go to your house. As your feet come into the city, the child shall die. So as soon as she gets back, the child will die. And all of Israel shall eulogize him and bury him, for he alone of Jeroboam shall come to a grave. He alone of Jeroboam shall come to a grave. None of the other sons of Jeroboam will know any kind of an honorable grave like this because there is found in him a good deed toward Yahweh Elohim Israel, the Lord God of Israel, in the house of Jeroboam. And Yahweh shall raise for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam this day and also those who will be born from now on. Now we're going to see that briefly Jeroboam tries to name his next son in succession so that he's ready to become the king when Jeroboam dies. But then we're also going to see that, that Yahweh will intervene and will not let that continue. And Yahweh shall smite Israel as a reed sways in the water. And he will uproot Israel from this good land that he has given to your fathers. And he will scatter them on the other side of the river because they have made their trees of idol worship which anger Yahweh. So they'll, they'll be scattered he will put Israel to shame because of the sins of Jeroboam that he sinned and that he has caused Israel to sin. Now, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to compare this with Rehoboam. And I'll have some things that, uh, that there are some principles here that, are, that we've already seen that we'll extract again uh, here from this passage of Scripture. 
Jeroboam's wife arose. She went and arrived in Terzah. She came onto the threshold of the house and the youth died. All of Israel buried him and eulogized him as the word of Yahweh that he spoke through his servant Ahijah, the prophet. Okay, so God has begun his judgment on the house of Jeroboam. And then Jeroboam uh, dies after his reign. The rest of the events of Jeroboam that he fought and how he ruled are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel. The days that Jeroboam reigned were 22 years. He slept with his forefathers and his son Nadab ruled instead of him. Now that doesn't last. Uh, unlike the house of David in the southern kingdom, there's no covenant here. As a matter of fact, there is a curse instead of a covenant uh, with regard to the house of Jeroboam. And we'll see in, in, in later on in the study in, that uh, that what Yahweh said comes true about the sons of uh, Jeroboam. Meanwhile, back in Judah, we have this, he's really an idiot, Rehoboam. He, he won't listen to anybody. He, don't, he doesn't know what he's doing. He inherited, he inherited the greatest nation that was known to people in that time. The wealth, the prosperity, the honor of surrounding kings. Uh, they were subservient uh, to Solomon, but Solomon sinned. God had declared judgment. And this declaration of judgment seems to settle in the mind and heart of Rehoboam because he didn't do anything right. Solomon had made friends with Egypt. The first wife that's mentioned of Solomon was an Egyptian, uh, the son of the Egyptian king, Pharaoh. Well, here, things in just a few years have, have taken a just very bad turn. Here's the deal. Solomon leaves the wealthiest most prosperous nation in the world. He, he leaves it in his death in the hands of his son. Wealth was everywhere. The temple was laden with wealth. The palace of Solomon was laden with wealth. He had, you remember how he had made gold shields for his honor guard? I mean, wealth was on display everywhere. Solomon, the richest uh, man that the world has ever known, this probably the most prosperous nation that the world had ever known during especially the high part, the high points of Solomon's career. But then here's Rehoboam, and it doesn't take that many years for enemies to rise up and decide that the leadership is weak. When the kingdom was broken in, in part, it was the, the 10 northern tribes formed another kingdom to the north. That greatly weakened the, the military might of Rehoboam. Of course, the, the land mass that was lost 
the natural resources that were lost in that landmass, certain sentinel cities uh, that were there, the taxes that the people paid, just everything was lost. And what was the fees that were extracted, that were gathered from those uh, trade routes during Solomon's time that really added to the wealth of Israel, that's all gone. It's not like it was. And Rehoboam is, is greatly weakened. But he's not just greatly weakened economically and militarily uh, and even by way of population and landmass. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have, he, he doesn't have the leadership skills or the mental acumen to, to lead what Solomon had left him. It becomes very evident that he doesn't know what he's doing. Now it came to, with that in mind, Second Chronicles chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam's kingdom was established, when he became strong, he abandoned the Torah of Yahweh and all of Israel abandoned it with him. Now the Torah, that's the first, that's the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was their Bible. That's what they had as their Bible in that day. What did he do? He abandoned it. It meant nothing to him. It should be noted, and there is a lesson all the way through the Old Testament, but especially in the section that we're studying now, Kings and Chronicles, and actually it begins in Samuel. And that lesson is, and it has, I think it has proven itself through time and history, but the principles are established here in the Word of God that when leadership of a nation is wicked and it's just sinful and collapses into sin, it has an influence and an effect on the rest of the people. It's, it's, it's inescapable. Now that influence when, when uh, King Rehoboam, for example, begins to, uh, his idolatry and all are revealed, the people fall into the same thing. When the Torah, when the Bible, we'll just call it the Bible. That's what the Bible was in their day. When the Bible becomes useless to the king, it becomes useless to the people. He doesn't remind them. He doesn't reference it. He doesn't talk to it. He doesn't obey it. It means nothing. And therefore, it affected all of the people. Now, that same principle is seen all the way through, especially in Kings and Chronicles. Um, when the leadership of a nation collapses into sin and evil, that influence and that darkness flows into the whole population. And here it says, Israel was right there with him, abandoning the Bible, if you want to call it that. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. That's not very long. He'd been king five years. Just five years prior to verse two, it was the greatest nation in the world, greatest military in the world, greatest economic power in the world, people, leaders coming from around the world to seek the blessing of the king of Israel. Five years. It came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, marched against Jerusalem for they had betrayed Yahweh. 
sin weakens a nation and ultimately will destroy it. That's just the way it is. And we're going to see how horrible this sin is in, I mean, in, just, in just this space of time. Here comes the king of Egypt. He's a different king from the one Solomon knew, but this guy would have never thought such a thing when Solomon was king. He would have never made any kind of move at all. But Rehoboam has been greatly weakened. And Judah now is not Israel. It's Judah. It's not the same that it used to be. But the vast wealth of Jerusalem and the household and holdings of Solomon, it's all still there. This is a, this is a great prize uh, for somebody. So look at it here. Why is the king of Egypt emboldened and strengthened? He's a pagan. They worship what, like 40-something gods and goddesses? Why is it that he is emboldened to march against Jerusalem? Not because he thought of it himself. Not, really not because Rehoboam was otherwise weak and Egypt seemed stronger, here's why it happened. It happened because Judah and Rehoboam had betrayed Yahweh. That's why it happened. Rehoboam could have been a tremendously, could have been the king of a tremendously weakened nation, but had he been a godly man and had he obeyed the Torah, the Bible, the word of God, and had he been humble before God and obedient, it wouldn't have mattered how strong the other nation was and how weak his was. God was there to protect it, but not now. So why is this guy gonna invade Judah and ultimately Jerusalem? Because Judah, Rehoboam, had betrayed Yahweh. With 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen, there was no number to the people who came with him from Egypt, the Lubim, the Sochim, and the Cushites. He had this big alliance that was coming with him. And he seized Judah's fortified cities, and he came to Jerusalem. He came all the way to Jerusalem. Now, he seized is a, the way it's written, it speaks of the ease with which he took it over. Jeroboam didn't want to offer any resistance. He didn't know what to do. His commanders had no word. They were weakened in their minds. They were, they were busy. They were busy retraining themselves in the culture and paganism of other gods and other nations. We're going to see that here in a minute. And so this weakened the hearts and the resolve of all of the people. And now, with practically no resistance, the king of Egypt comes into this great land that David had established and that Solomon had strengthened into the land where Rehoboam was king and there was nothing that he would do. He offered practically no resistance at all. 
Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the princes, the leaders of Judah who had gathered to Jerusalem because of Shishach. And he said to them, so said Yahweh, you have forsaken me and I have forsaken you then into the hand of Shishach. And the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, Yahweh is righteous. Well, what should they have done? It wouldn't have hurt to have put on sackcloth and sit in ashes and repent honestly and sincerely and beg God for forgiveness. It wouldn't have hurt because God's word has always said, if you'll come back to me, I'll come back to you. But they didn't do that. So, okay, we don't, we're going to hide out here in a field somewhere and let these people just take over everything they want. And then finally they'll leave us alone. Yahweh is righteous. Now that sounds like a good thing to say, but it reveals the horrible weakness of the leaders and, and, and the king, the leaders and the king of Israel. When Yahweh saw they had humbled themselves, the word of Yahweh came to Shemaiah saying, they humbled themselves. Okay, I'm not gonna destroy them. I'll give them some measure of deliverance. Now remember, he has a, he has a covenant with the house of David. It goes, in my view, it goes as far as it could have gone without destroying the house of David. Of course, Yahweh can't let that happen. So this is a, this is a terrible, a, a terrible uh, judgment. I've given them some measure of deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out in Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. For they will be his slaves and they will know my service in the service of the kingdoms of the lands. I mean, they're going to have to do whatever Shishak says. Now it's the other way around. These nations used to be the vassal states of Israel. But just a few short years, this is all flipped. It's upside down. It's the other way now. At least the leadership of Israel agreed that what was happening to them was coming from a just God and they deserved it. But according, according to the text, they offered no repentance and they didn't ask Yahweh for help. But in his grace and because of his word that he established with the house of David, he lets it stop short. My wrath will not be poured out in Jerusalem by the hand of Shishach. For there will be his slaves and they will know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the lands. And Shishach, the king of Egypt, as a matter of fact, I read in one of the research, the books that I researched about this time, this era, this period, it is how they came in and conquered the land of, of Judah, that part of the land, is actually written in the annals of the history and the chronicles of the king of Egypt. Marched against uh, Marched against Jerusalem, he took the, listen, he took the treasures of the house of Yahweh. How long did David work to lay aside all of that money and gold and silver and stuff so that he could be there waiting for Solomon? Solomon comes along. And then by the touch of Yahweh in the life of Solomon, he was, he was, he was able to produce tremendous profits everywhere and he was paid by 
shekels and shekels and shekels of gold from all around and they were bringing the best gold in the world, the oh, for the, the best gold in the world. And then Solomon takes what David had left him and what he had gained and it's probably it was the richest treasury of gold the world had ever known. And he makes the temple and then uh, he sets his palace up and all of these things and he made those golden shields Shishak took it all, just like that. For all that David had done and all that Solomon had done, look at this. He marched against Jerusalem, took the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the treasures of the king's palace. These things were surrendered to him. If Yahweh is present in the temple, then he could not breach the temple. But what happens is, the people are so scared and their, their hearts melted. Apparently everything that was there that had value was just surrendered to this guy, this king from Egypt. And then all of those tremendous golden shields that Solomon had made for his honor guards and all, took them all just like that. Five years into this guy's reign as king, Rehoboam, Five years is all it took for the sin to rot the central core of not just the king, but the people as well. Abandoned the word of God. Just agree that, that if Yahweh wants to do all of this, he's, he's just, he's righteous. But don't offer any repentance and don't turn around and, and don't issue commands that the people are to stop worshiping false gods in the, the groves and the high places and so forth. Just, just let it go. Indifference. Now what happens when they leave the land? This is why he's such an idiot. King Rehoboam made instead copper shields. And he entrusted them into the hands of the chiefs of the runners, which are the guards, the guardians, who guarded the entrance of the king's palace. What, what, I mean, why not just make some good solid wooden shields? I don't know. He's already lost it. It's, it's the shame and humiliation and defeat are already there, judgment upon his sin. But he goes, he does his best to cover it up. Do what he can do to try to restore as much as he can because he doesn't want to be seen as a sinner. Came to pass that whenever the king came to the house of Yahweh, the runners, the guards came and carried them and returned them to the chamber of the guardians. And when he humbled himself, Yahweh's wrath returned from him and he did not say to destroy him completely. And also in Judah were good things. So Yahweh relents but not until the king of Egypt had literally ravaged the land of its wealth. This glorious kingdom that had gold falling out of windows and growing on trees. This, this kingdom that had gold and silver and jewels everywhere. It was all taken. All taken away. And the cover-up, the best he could do, Rehoboam, was to replace the gold 
with copper. Yet in his grace, Yahweh relented because he had a covenant with the house of uh, David. So now here it is in 1 Kings 14. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, ruled in Judah, 41 years of age was Rehoboam. When he became king, he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city that Yahweh had chosen to place his name there out of all the tribes of Israel. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonites. Okay, this tells us something. Solomon's wife, who bore Rehoboam, was an Ammonites. She is the only non-Israelite queen named in the Bible except for Jezebel in the northern kingdom. So who raises the child at her breast? Mother does. What two, what two nations of peoples were most despised by Israel? And cursed by Yahweh, the Moabites and the Ammonites. But she raises him. So he has, he's, he's already, he already has in his raising, obviously, uh, a less than stellar attitude toward the worship of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he is, he is weakened in about every way that you can think of. And Judah did what displeased Yahweh. And they angered him more than their forefathers had done with their sins that they sinned. I mean, you, gotta, you go all the way back to the golden calf. You go all the way back wherever. Nothing was as bad as what the people had done in the time of Rehoboam. And they also built for themselves high places, monuments and trees for idol worship on every high hill. You see that? Every high hill and under every green tree, this was their worship. Now, I've, we've talked about how perverted Canaanite worship was. It's horrible. It would somewhat remind you of the social life of the elites of the United States these days, frankly. And the people thought they were set free to engage in every kind of act of perversion imaginable. Now, verse 24, and also Kadesh was in the land. Kadesh is a word that means male prostitution. So homosexuality was rampant. It's part of their worship, you see. It's part of their worship. Kadesh was in the land. And they did as all the abominations of the nations that Yahweh had driven out from before them, before the sons of Israel. Five years into this guy's reign, five years. He lost the economy, he lost his military, he lost the respect, he was humiliated in the world. And he and his people lost their very, the essence of their very souls, in a sense, through their sin. And their sin had brought destruction to their nation, to the people. 
to their economy, to their military, to everything, to everything. It even, it even brought shame in a sense to the temple in that they surrendered all of the treasuries of the temple to King Shishach. So here, Kadesh was in the land. Abominations, they did as all, look at this, as all of the abominations of the nations that Yahweh had driven out. You go back to the book of Leviticus and you remember what the Lord said to them? He forbade such things as nudity, incest, um, bestiality, homosexuality, every kind of perverted thing that <laughs> you, have to, you have to read, you never think of it yourself. And he warned them, this is what they're doing in Canaan. You shall never do these things. These are an abomination. All of these things are an abomination to Yahweh. Now, they did. It says all the stuff. They did it all. So then it came to pass Fifth year, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And this is this account that we saw in the other book. He took treasures of the house of Yahweh, the treasures of the king's palace. He took everything. He took all the golden shields that Solomon had made. King Rehoboam made copper shields instead of them, put them under the jurisdiction of the captain of the guards that guarded the door of the king's palace. And it was whenever the king went to the house of Yahweh, the guards would carry them and return, return them to the guardian's chamber. That's the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But I can just see the population, the populace out there watching the king, kings passing by. He's going to go and he's going to go to the temple and do his holy thing at the temple. And so the guards run out there proudly with their copper shields. And then when the king leaves, they run to take their copper shields back to where they were. It's kind of silly to me. So here is an overview of the reign of Rehoboam in Judah. First and second Chronicles 12. King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem, reigned. For Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. In 17 years he reigned in Jerusalem, the city Yahweh chosen wherein to place his name out of all the tribes of Israel. His mother's name, we see it again here in this book. Now the Ammonites and he did that which was evil, for he did not set his heart to seek Yahweh. And the deeds of Rehoboam, the first and the last, are they not written in the words of Shemaiah the prophet and Iddo the seer in the manner of genealogy and the wars of Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the times? And Rehoboam slept with his forefathers, buried in the city of David and Abijah. His son reigned in his stead. And here's what 1 Kings 14 says. And the rest of the events of Rehoboam and all that he did they are written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. There was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. Rehoboam lay with his fathers and was buried in the father, and with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Nam of the Ammonites. Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. So here's the point. The principle that is established. 
the leader of a nation, the ruler of a nation is at the top of the heap and regulations and policies and influence and laws flow from there outward to all the people. The regulations, the laws, the policies in the time of an evil king were not based on a love and respect for Yahweh, the true and living God. They were based on selfish desires, hunger for perversion and sexual lust. And the people, the people, there is this affinity. There is this thing among people who feel greatly relieved, apparently, when the ones who are watching over them Tell them that they don't really mind if they delve into all kinds of sin. And buddy, they race to it. And they feel relieved from it, from the oversight of those who would otherwise keep them in check with regard to the word of God. Now that principle is established all the way through the Old Testament. It's seen here because we're not that far removed really from the time of David. But five years just after Solomon's reign, five years into his reign, and the whole military defeat, humiliation, enslavement. The Bible says they, they became subservient to the king of Egypt. The loss of their prosperity and their economy and their wealth and their military, the loss of all of it. An indifference to sin and an indifference to the judgment of God because the pursuit of these perverted so-called pleasures apparently seemed more important to the king and his people than obedience to the word of God. So what happens? Well, they collapse, they fall, they're defeated. Yahweh judges them because of their sin. Not because of anything else, but because of their sin and their disdain for God and his word. We're going to stop there. We'll pick it up there, God willing, next time, and we'll have our deacon prayer time.